Listener Production. Some big announcements in recent days show that coal is being phased out a lot sooner than we thought. Yeah, the big news this week is that Aussie tech billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks is spearheading a bid to buy AGL, one of Australia's biggest energy companies, and phase it out of coal-fired power production 15 years earlier than planned. So AGL knocked back the initial offer, but Mike Cannon-Brooks says they'll be back with a counter-offer soon, so it seems like the bidding has begun. So this comes after big news from Origin Energy last week that they are shutting down Australia's largest coal-fired power station, Iraring, seven years ahead of schedule. With the influx of renewables and that changing market, what we're seeing is that's increasingly having an impact on the way baseload power stations need to run. It's making it less sustainable over time. That's the CEO of Origin Energy, Frank Calabria. So the trend here is coal-fired power stations shutting down years earlier than planned and batteries being built in their place. Now, the plan was for our 16 coal-fired power stations that they'd be all shutting by 2043. But as you're hearing, it could be way sooner than expected. How much sooner? You'll find out in this briefing right after today's headlines. It is Tuesday, the 22nd of Feb. Let's see what's making news. And we're staying with billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks, as you heard there. He still does want to buy AGL after having his initial bid knocked back. I think this is how these things play out. Uh, I think we feel that our bid is very fair value for shareholders. But clearly the board didn't agree. Uh, That was Cannon Brooks on ABC 7.30. Yesterday, the AGL board said that the $8 billion unsolicited proposal materially undervalued the company and is not in the best interest of AGL Energy shareholders. Yeah, so Cannon Brooks, along with uh, Canadian asset manager Brookfield, the plan was they were going to buy the company and then sort of speed up AGL's green energy transition. Um, they were planning to get the company out of coal by 2030. Um, meanwhile, the Prime Minister has weighed in, saying that coal plants need to live out their natural life. Let me be really clear about something. We need to ensure that our coal-fired generation of electricity runs to its life. Because if it doesn't, electricity prices go up. So Mike Cannon-Brooks has hit back saying renewable assets generate power at far cheaper prices than coal assets currently do and lead to lower power prices, which is actually what's happened over the last eight years. So I guess people are left to question, do you trust the Prime Minister who brought a lump of coal into Parliament and one election wedging labour on coal jobs in Queensland? Or do you trust Brookfields, uh, a big fund manager, and Mike Cannon-Brooks, one of the most successful business people in Australia's history? Yeah, well, I think the other thing is that you can probably trust some of the evidence that we're seeing. You know, 12 coal-fired power stations closed between 2012 and 2017, and yet the price of electricity has been the cheapest that it's been in almost a decade. Doesn't mean Mm. it won't fluctuate, but, you know, there is an election coming up, so Scott Morrison is going to be going hard on the hip pocket and electricity prices being driven up as well. So watch out for that. China's accusing Australia of lying over allegations one of its warships directed lasers at an Australian military aircraft in the Arafura Sea along Australia's northern border. News released by the Australian side is not true. The normal navigation of Chinese ships in the high seas is in line with relevant international law and international practice and is completely legitimate. 
That was China's Foreign Ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin there. The translation you heard is from the ABC. Now, China's also saying that the Australian aircraft involved was flying too close to its ship. But our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has demanded that Beijing investigate the incident. He called it an act of intimidation. China also said the ships were in that part of the world to help Tonga and the Solomon Islands overcome the volcano disaster in Tonga and COVID outbreaks are two very different stories about what happened there. And one of Australia's most wanted fugitives will face court today after 12 years on the run. Police in far north Queensland tracked the man down yesterday, finding him in a house 120 k's south of Cairns. He was wanted for conspiracy to murder and high-level drugs charges and will be extradited to Victoria. A drug trafficker of significance at the time that he was originally charged by police. He's a person with prior convictions in New South Wales for homicide. That was Victoria's Acting Assistant Commissioner Mick Fruin there. The man was known to change his appearance to avoid capture, which looks like he did for 12 years. Donald Trump's launched a new social media platform. It's called Truth Social. And it joins a growing number of tech companies trying to position themselves as the champions of free speech, hoping to draw users who feel their views are suppressed by the other platforms. Yes, yeah, so you might have heard some of them. Maybe you've even been on or used some of them. There's Getter and Parler, and there's also a video site called Rumble. So far, though, none of those platforms have come anywhere near the power or usage of the mainstream platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. I guess that hasn't stopped Donald Trump from having a crack, though. He was, of course, banned from basically all the major platforms after the Capitol riots on January 6. He had a failed blog last year, which lasted about a month. And some users are reporting problems with the new platform, saying they're having trouble registering for an account or they were just added to a wait list. And that was because it was due to massive demand. So that sounds like a classic Trumpism. Be interesting to see how it goes. And trains in Sydney will be running again today, but only on a limited schedule. After the whole network ground to a sudden halt yesterday, leaving commuters in chaos. Yeah, the State Transport Department shut down the network following a collapse in negotiations with the union over the weekend. The government has just done the most low and dastardly thing that you could ever imagine a government doing. They've locked out their workforce. That was rail, tram and bus union boss Alex Classens. Uh, Transport for New South Wales, the government department, said it would have been unsafe to operate yesterday due to the industrial action but the union has denied they were on strike and demanded answers how their action would have made the network unsafe. Yeah, I mean, this has come after six months of negotiations on pay and conditions. So it's been a while in the making. There were fresh talks that were held at the Fair Work Commission last night, but no resolution was reached. What we know, though, today is that trains are going to be running at half hourly intervals, which I guess is better than no trains running, but certainly still not ideal for commuters. All right, coming up, the future of coal-fired power in Australia. There is a pretty clear trend emerging. Big coal-fired power plants closing earlier than planned and their owners are building batteries in their place. So last year, Energy Australia announced that the Yalorn plant in Victoria was getting shut down four years earlier then, as you heard earlier in the briefing, Origin announced last week that Araring was going down seven years earlier. And with the Mike Cannon-Brooks plan, he wants AGL's plants 
shut down 15 years earlier. Yeah, so what is going on and how much will it speed up our transition out of coal-fired power? And also, do we risk price hikes and power blackouts, as the Energy Minister has warned? Mike Foley is climate correspondent for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Mike, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. How significant is this trend of big coal-fired power stations closing years ahead of schedule and building batteries in their place? It's a really significant trend for not just Australia, but the world. Australia is at the forefront of the shift to renewables. We're a country with the most renewables penetration into the energy grid. And if you think about energy as an element of modern life, it's huge. It determines how countries go to war, even if you want to go that extreme. So it's a massive trend that could end up delivering an entire new industry for Australia with thousands and thousands of jobs across the country, billions in investment. And ultimately, I know it sounds high-minded, high-saluting, but also energy sovereignty. We're, We're not importing our energy onto our shores. We're producing it here ourselves. So it's the starter's pistol on a trend that's only going one way, and that's the exit of coal. The only question is how soon. So along with that origin announcement last week, um, we've now heard about the Mike Cannon-Brooks plan to tank over AGL and essentially do a similar thing, shut down the coal-fired power plants early and build batteries in their place. As we heard uh, yesterday, AGL has knocked back the initial offer, but it appears there will be a counteroffer at some point. So this is something Mike Cannon-Brooks has been talking about for some time, Australia becoming a renewable energy superpower. So how big a deal was Mike Cannon-Brooks' plan and his offer for AGL? It's huge and huge, not just in the world of energy investors and people who play the stock market. This is huge in the lives of everyday Australians, to be honest. Mike Cannon-Brooks has teamed up with Brookfield that manage massive infrastructure assets across the country and they're putting a four or $5 billion bid in for AGL shares. They've also committed as a joint venture to invest $10 billion in getting AGL's existing coal fleet, which is the biggest in the country, all its coal plants out by 2035 and replacing them with renewable energy. But not just that, building the infrastructure like the poles and the wires and all the the bits and pieces to back up and ensure renewables work well. And that's a world first as well, seeing something happen that quick. What it shows, guys, is that the corporate world is seeing value in the renewable transition over and above what the Australian government is and Australia is going quicker than anywhere else around the world. I can't exaggerate how significant it is. What's changing in the market here? Why are we seeing these announcements of coal-fired power stations going early? Is it simply about renewables becoming cheaper, faster than expected? Yes, it is. It is actually that simple. Renewables are undercutting the business case of coal. They supply power cheaper to the market than coal-fired power stations can generate it. And the obvious reason for that is that sun and wind is free. So once you've built your wind and solar farm, which is a capital investment, granted you get your fuel for free, whereas coal, you have to build the thing, you have to run it for decades, you have to dig up the coal, you have to pay for the coal. So we're we're seeing this inexorable trend to replacing coal with cheaper renewables. However, the catch is, there's always a catch in life. When the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining, you need to back up that renewable power, which, Tom, as you mentioned, that's where the batteries come in. So there is a bit of a complicating factor that 
coal-fired power stations is burned day and night and supply 24-hour power, but renewables are cheaper as long as they're backed up with the batteries or not just at the pumped hydro or gas plants as well. And that's where that $10 billion bid, if you remember from Cannon Brooks and Brookfield comes in, that, that $10 billion will also go to that backup power to make the grid secure. Mike, the plan to wind down all of our big 16 coal-fired power stations by 2043, right? That's the sort of plan that we have. We keep hearing, obviously, that the plants are shutting down four, seven, 15 years earlier if Mike Cannon-Brooks has his way. How much earlier do you think that'll actually happen now? Well, how long is a piece of string? But we can say that the independent agency, the Australian Energy Market Operator, that oversee the grid for security and supply Mm. that make sure that the lights are going to stay on, say that the transition could happen feasibly as quickly as by 2030 without significant disruptions to supply, without blackouts happening. But again, there's a catch. It's the cost is that feasible to people who pay power bills. And that's where the political tension comes in. Mm. There's Many optimists and some serious hard heads too, like Kerry Schott, for example, who's the former head of the Energy Security Board and really well-credentialed government advisor for decades, saying that, yes, these security assets, the backup power for renewables, can be built without significant price rises coming in. And that's sort of where the Brookfield play comes in as well with Cannon Brook, sorry, where they're seeing, obviously, value. They wouldn't want to be proposing serious retail electricity spikes and and doing themselves out of the retail business. There is some warranted scepticism too, most notably from Federal Energy Minister Angus Taylor, who when AGL's previously on Liddell Power Station announced it was going to shut down in 2023, uh, announced that he had to invest $600 million of taxpayers' money in a gas plant to keep downward pressure on prices. And there's conjecture over whether that's necessary or a boondoggle. That price element for household bills is still the plain flux, but people are looking at coal getting out within a decade, as early as a decade or 15 years under the the AGL takeover bid. Well, it's just an interesting point that you make about Angus Taylor because last week when the um, Iraring plant speed-up was announced, he was out saying that this could push up energy prices. But a price hike does sort of seem at odds with the reality that energy prices are kind of coming down. I mean, his office said that they were expected to keep declining over the next few years. So is there any factual basis at all for Taylor warning about price hikes to the hip pocket or is there just an election coming up? A bit of both. He's not out on his own, Mr Taylor. It is fair to point out that living in a world of optimism won't pay the bills. That's fair. But there is... Genuine conjecture, and and I'm sorry to be sitting on the fence for you guys, but Australia really is at the forefront of this energy transition, and it's yet to see how we're at 30% renewables into the grid at the moment, roughly, give or take, and power bills have been falling, but there is a long way to go between 30% and 100% of renewables across the grid. But the political conjecture comes in where you have Matt Keane, for example, he's the New South Wales Energy Minister who has put his money where his mouth is with a state plan to really ramp up the renewables transition just in New South Wales in his own jurisdiction. He's confident that there won't be significant price spikes, but he doesn't have an actual map of how that will play out and he can't give 
dollar figures per decade, for example, because it is a free market. Assets are run by private companies. So Angus Taylor will use that uncertainty and he has been very sceptical of significant penetration of renewables in the past. The federal government does back them, to be fair. They have funded research and and development themselves in the past few years to a significant tune. They're banking on renewables to get Australia towards our net zero 2050 commitment that Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, committed to as well. So it's not all wrecking by Angus Taylor. He's emphasising some of the scepticism there. And like you say, there's some votes to be won in Queensland. So that, that might be playing out during the election as well. Is that what that's about? Is it about sort of seen to be sticking up for jobs in the coal sector? Is that why he might, if he is overblowing the fears or, or out of step with some of the best financial analysts in the world and energy market analysts, is that why he might be doing that? Is, is it a connection to jobs? Jobs is the key where you can cast yourself as all care and responsibility for the workers in coal-fired plants, especially that, that will be shutting down. Obviously, you, you would have popped into your head already that these renewable investments are going to create jobs as well in the construction phase. They're not going to be as long lasting as the few hundred people or more that work at a large coal-fired power plant who get pretty good jobs, mostly they're highly skilled jobs. It will play out with some fiery language around workers, but there is a good pushback on the renewable scepticism with the billions and billions of dollars that are pouring into renewables. It's all making net zero by 2050 sound very achievable. Yeah, exactly. Coal-fired power is the biggest emitter in Australia. So that's a huge chunk. And, you know, if you get the energy emissions out of the emissions budget, that's a massive step towards that. And it goes to this trend, Tom, of companies now seeing so much value in the clean transition that they're outstripping government plans all around the world, but especially in Australia. And... It's just a a massive vote of confidence, I would say, from Cannon Brooks and Brookfield in that transition. So that was Mike Foley, climate correspondent at The Age and Sydney Morning Herald. And what really stood out to me, Jam, was that he said, instead of our coal-fired power plants shutting down by 2043, it could happen as early as 2030. It's a very clear picture that he sort of painted of Australia really being at the forefront of this renewables transition, which is a very different mental image to the one that I have of our Prime Minister in 2017 brandishing a lump of coal in the House of Representatives. I think it just shows that big business and these massive investment firms, they really don't care about governments. They're pushing ahead regardless of whether governments are on board. Yeah, the market forces are clearly much more powerful than governments. I wonder how this all will play out at the election, though, if there really is some fear to exploit that this transition's happening faster than expected and whether there are votes to be won in sort of sticking up for coal jobs, even though your analysis might not be as strong as these big market players. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we speak to one of the Sandy Hook shooting victims. Um, This woman's um, child was killed in that horrific shooting. And she's been part of this big, successful legal action against Remington, uh, who made the AR-15-style weapon used in the attack. They've sued Remington for $73 million US dollars. We'll find out how they did that and what they actually pinged them for. Listener.